Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back again to talk about the Dunlap Champions Club. You know, just because football season goes away after the fall every year, unfortunately, the Dunlap Champions Club does not, and we've told you this before, but it's a great event space that you should consider for your team, family, organization, whatever it is. Space, space, and more space. Anything from 10 to 15 people, or I'm told... As many as 800 can be accommodated. Uh, they, they've got space. They do. They've got uh, – if you've been in the Dunlap Champions Club, you know we're talking about the fourth floor and the sixth floor, really, of the University Center Club. But the fourth floor is 20,000 square feet, floor-to-ceiling windows, overlooks Bobby Bowden Field. They can set it, you know, whatever you want. Plated function, theater seating, cocktail reception. If you like uh, the terrace, the little outdoor and, – and actually – this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. I might not suggest it for late July, early but, August. But this time of year. This time of year, I think that's an option. Same thing up there. Cocktail reception. They'll set it however you want. Just consider it. It's uh, it, it really is a great space. I've, I've been to several functions there. I'd encourage you to do the same. 850-644-1830 for ticket information, or you can call and schedule a private tour. And now, without further ado, Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody, and welcome to Front Row Knowles. Tom and Keith with you. Tom live and in person. Keith, not in parts unknown, but uh, in Winston-Salem on Tobacco Road as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. KJ with the basketball boys who play tonight. How are you, sir? Uh, by the way, I am alive and in person. That's just long distance. I'm doing great. Doing thank, great. Thank you for setting the record straight. I, I knew that I didn't really word that very well, but what else is new? So a couple of questions here. Um, most notably, was a steak dinner enjoyed by you and Gene Deckerhoff last night somewhere in Winston-Salem? Uh, a nice dinner was enjoyed. I chose not to go with steak. I chose the meatloaf because I'm a I'm a meatloaf guy sometimes. But uh, it was uh, very enjoyable. I think Mr. Deckerhall had the fish, uh, but we were well taken care of. So yes, sustenance was uh, was had by all. Yes. And secondly, was steak and lobster served on the team flight back from Louisville after the beatdown they administered on the Cardinals on Saturday? That was something. It was not, but nobody cared. <laughs> it was a very enjoyable, very enjoyable flight back from Louisville. That is for sure. I'll get your thoughts on that game momentarily, but uh, for our listeners' sake, Patrick Burnham from the Osceola will join us next segment. We'll talk extensively about the new coaching staff that's been pieced together. We'll talk about some of the recruiting that is ongoing. And, Keith, I'll just let you weigh in with a broad statement. We've talked piecemeal as this has come together over the last several weeks, but <laughs> – Mike Norvell has been in place for a month and two days now and has his full staff on board. He's found two quarterbacks. He's gotten guys to take demotions to come be analysts. He's hit the transfer portal and found four guys, and we're still four weeks from signing day. So I would say that he's checking all the boxes. All, all the boxes, and maybe some that we didn't even anticipate. Uh, I think his administrative side, and I think the attention to detail that will be coming out of um, uh, the third floor of the Moore Center uh, is going to be greatly improved as well. You know, I, I haven't talked to Coach about this, but I, I, I it's almost like he's got, you know, there's 366 days in 2020 because of the leap year. And I suspect he's got a calendar that has something noted on every one of those days. 
and and he's just working through all of the things leading up to and including the season uh, once it kicks off. I mean, it, it appears that he is that detail oriented, and uh, and almost every day and certainly weekly something is coming out uh, about the progress that's being made. Anything that I left out that jumps off the page at you at this point, 33 days-ish into his tenure? The, the thing that, that um, jumps out at me is the, uh, how should I put it, the, the youth or the, the age of a lot of the people that he is surrounding himself with. You know, one of the things that, that was most notable about Coach Bowden during his 34-year tenure at Florida State is that he, he always was accepting of new ideas and always willing to try things that were different. Uh, some didn't work out so well, uh, like the freeze option or whatever that was in the early 80s, uh, but he, w- he was not content to stay you know, the status quo. And, and it appears that Coach Norvell is the same way in terms of bringing in uh, guys that have new ideas, younger ideas, that type of thing. And, of course, he himself is not an old man by any stretch. But the ability to embrace change and to continue to look forward and, and towards new things and new ideas seems to be something that, that is very important to him. He definitely has a diverse staff, both, and I don't mean just race, but in terms of their, their backgrounds, different conferences, different levels of football, different ages. You've got late 20s into early 50s. Uh, from that standpoint, there will be a lot of new and different ideas that are always on the table because even though several of them have worked with Coach Norvell, they've spread their wings, and so their networks are bigger and larger. And uh, you just have to think there'll be an infusion of uh, of ideas given that background. One would have to think that, and it'll be exciting to see those uh, tried. Not all of them obviously will work. That's the way the world is, but uh, certainly it won't be for lack of attention or lack of effort. Are you finding the transfer portal fun now? Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm still an old guy that uh, I still got my doubts about it, but certainly the activity associated with it, and in Florida State's case, the results, <coughs> pardon me, are starting to show themselves. Uh, you know, I, I still need some warming up to it, but that's okay. That's just me. But certainly Coach Norvell and his staff have embraced it and have started utilizing it in a great way, in my opinion. Well, to me, the thing is, you know, in your normal signing class when it was February, you never got anybody you wanted. Bobby would always say that, you know, but and then Bobby would say, but he liked what he got. Wouldn't trade it with anybody, right? But if you had a miss, there really wasn't a way to, to fix that until the next recruiting cycle. Now, I mean, you just have somebody looking at that portal all day long, and lo and behold, up. 10 in the morning, another offensive tackle hit the portal. Let's send him an email. Let's reach out. I mean, there's a, there's a quicker fix than wait until next year. And that was what it was designed to do, and I get that. It just, I think, lends itself to, if you get just the slightly irritated of where you're at, I'm going to take my ball and go somewhere else, and it provides a very easy means of doing that. That's my reser- continuing reservation about it. But, you know, welcome to the new world, Jones. Maybe I just need to uh, broaden my wings a little bit. Well, speaking of the new world, I don't know when we're going to get there given all the different players that are involved and the power struggle that is that exists between all the different conferences. But it's time to renew the cry for a commissioner of college football. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. So watching the playoff semifinals, and we didn't talk about this last week, 
obviously there were some controversial calls and lo and behold, and I've been saying this forever, you know, you had SEC officials in the Ohio State Clemson game and, and that, that play, and I'm talking about the, the scoop and score that was not, you know, that might be interpreted differently by officials from a different conference. And truthfully, it might be interpreted differently by any set of officials, even if there wasn't different conferences. But the bigger point is, as a starting point, we just need one set of officials that are national, or at least Power Five. Yes? Yes. Now, we've got to remember, you know, we do have the NFL, and and they do have issues, uh, i.e. the touchdown reception when there was no offensive pass interference called. And so you don't always get it perfect, but certainly when we get it closer, closer to being correct most of the time. So, yes, I agree with you. The difference there would be, though, that the college football is not refereed the same way from game to game, at least in the NFL. And, you know, they, they didn't overturn pass interference all year this year across the board, even though they instituted that rule last year. So it is a little more consistent there. Here's my here's my bigger concern. And this has not been talked about yet keith uh too much it's been talked about that the sec is going to move off of cbs and go to espn in a couple years but mainly it's been treated as well that's a big blow to cbs and and it's going to be a coup for espn but but not as prominent yet has been the fact that those rights are going to produce another at least 20 million dollars per year per sec school so just when FSU gets to the point, we don't know what the ACC network revenue is going to look like this year, and certainly the network is not rolled out in its entirety because Comcast still isn't on board. But just as FSU shrinks a gap from what was, I think, $43 million for SEC schools, um, roughly 43 to $29 million, you and I both thought that FSU would get that shrunk from a you know a 14 or $15 million gap to maybe a 5 to $7 million gap. Lo and behold, it, it, it's going to quadruple. Did I, I got nothing. You got nothing. It is what it is. Um, well, here's here's I where think it, the, it, the it, other folks would tell you that the rights come back up over the ACC in 2026 or 2027, whatever that next window is, and you try to make a you know you, you close the gap there. But the reality is, the SEC brand is a better brand than the ACC brand, as judged by the people that turn their TVs on or look at their tablets or even watch a game on the phone and and that's just the way it is and unless and until that changes i think there might always be some form of a gap what do you think that well you're absolutely correct that's the reason that they get more dollars i mean certainly that is why there's more dollars there's no way to fix that uh you know even if clemson and florida state and miami and virginia tech alternated national championships for the next 15 years the SEC still has the bigger fan bases across the board because they don't have the smaller privates like a Wake Forest and a Duke involved. And I, and so they're, they're always going to get more money. Here's the thing. I can't see how this would happen because why in the world would the SEC or the Big Ten who are getting all the TV money want to agree to this? But at some point, you risk potentially pricing out other conferences at the Power Five level in the same way that the Power Five – can outspend group of five by so much that the group of five can't really compete. And there would be more bang for the buck if the conferences got together and negotiated their TV deals together uh, to networks like the NFL does so that there was revenue sharing equal among, among conferences. But that'll never happen. I mean, I don't know the solution other than getting to that. Well, the one way that it would happen is to create a super um, 
set of conferences. You know, go all the way back to the old thing about having four conferences with 16 teams, an 18 playoff, blah, 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 that are completely separate and, and can have a commissioner and do what they want to do. The issue there becomes if 64 was the right number and four conferences are the right number or four divisions, is would the sum total be so great than the individuals that the SEC and the Big Ten would be willing to um, join that, so to speak? And I don't know if that would ever happen, and certainly if it did, it would create an unbelievable monster with a whole bunch of – other issues that are not necessarily good, but at the same time, that probably is one of only two or three ways that that equity would come about, you know, across the board, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's not going to get fixed in the next TV cycle. That's just, I can see where it's heading with the disparity that's being created. We'll finish on this. We don't have to have a whole should you expand to eight teams debate, but at a very minimum, when these contracts come up, they need to just, uh, to be frank, they might need to extend a middle finger towards Pasadena and, 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 or in terms of the, given the Rose Bowl preference on everything, they either need to put the semifinals in the Rose Bowl and Sugar Bowl every year and play them on New Year's Day, or they need to play them on New Year's Day and, and put the Rose Bowl at whatever time or put it in between and just get that fixed. That's something that can be fixed. And I think, as we've seen now, with what, 15 days between the semifinals and the final? I think the issue of of keeping the playoff games on the first and then scheduling the Monday, you know, not the immediate Monday, but the but what that be nine days afterwards, um, is is a model that at least in the short term they ought to look at. I think this gap has been too great, uh, and I don't think any of the coaches involved in it are happy with it. Yeah, yeah, it's too long a break, and uh, so let's get things to the first. I'm not a fan. They've done this for years. They're not going to move it. I hate the championship game on a Monday, but the NFL rules Saturday and Sunday and is not going to give up the landscape of prime time. So they're, you know, and college football is not going to take Friday night, which is the least viewed TV night. So they're going to leave it in Monday night where we're conditioned to Monday night football. But I hate that it's on a Monday. Be much better on a Friday night. Be much better on a Saturday is where it needs to be. All right. Well, you know, and I would tell you that the wild card games that were played on Saturday were scheduled at what four o'clock and eight o'clock and I don't know what effect it would have but if they scheduled them because the Sunday games are at one and five why can't the NFL Saturday games be at noon and four or one and five and play the championship game at at eight o'clock well the answer to that is because if you put it in prime time you get the casual fan who's just sitting on their couch flipping around that's not a college fan you know, if you play it at noon, you get me and you. No, I mean, you could play it at 2 in the morning, and you and I are going to watch the college football championship or the NFL wild card. But if you put it in prime time, you get the casual fan who's just flipping around and might stop on some other show. Oh, the college football game's on. So that's that's the numbers with the ratings. So that, that's why they're not going to come off that. Anyway, a quick thought, KJ, about the win over Louisville, and then we'll uh, take a break and we'll preview Wake's the game with Wake later on in the show. That was impressive. That The win over Louisville is probably as big for this team this year as the two wins in prior years when we beat Duke when they were number one in the country. The difference this year is you beat Louisville at Louisville, and those two wins in prior years have been at the Tucker Center. It, it really focuses the national attention. You know, Louisville being a blue blood, 
Florida State goes into their place. They're they're in the top ten. You beat them soundly. I mean, this this was not a game that was in doubt. This was a game that Florida State controlled. Every time Louisville went on a run to shriek the lead to three or five, uh, Florida State answered and took it back to nine or ten or eleven, and and it was a statement game. So the, the win over Louisville in the the nineteen twenty season. When everything is said and done 5, 10, 15 years from now, <coughs> pardon me, in my opinion, is going to go down as unbelievably significant, particularly if this team continues to play like they're playing. And that's the question. How will they respond tonight against Wake Forest? We'll address that later in the show. I'll remind you that uh, today, it's the, fir- well, it's the first week of classes at FSU, and Madison Social has uh, Syllabus Day. Now, Keith, don't point out that these are online and not printed. You can go to Madison Social. You can get a syllabus. Pick it up, and it'll give you uh, your assignments. These are right up your alley, by the way. Eating and drinking are with the assignments that are on the syllabus. Uh, today, a syllabus gets you your second drink free and unlocks the $5 Big Daddy pretzel. That's if you go visit our fine friends at Madison Social. We will turn our attention to Florida State football when we come back. Patrick Burnham, our Osceola Insider, joins us right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block with you. KJ will rejoin us later on. Obviously, as you just heard, he is in Winston-Salem, the Knowles Trying to move to 4-1 and one in the ACC against Wake Forest tonight. But right now, let's bounce it over to football. We'll open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to our Osceola insider. Patrick Burnham is on the line. Pat, how are you, sir? Good, Tom. Happy New Year. Hope you had a great holiday break. Same to you and, and all the Osceola folks. You can find out more information about the Osceola online at theosceola.com. Try a seven-day free trial. Go ahead and subscribe. You're not going to get better bang for your buck and better coverage of Florida State or Insight. And, Pat, that's why we're leaning on you right now because you are from a coaching family and you've been in the business, so you can share some perspective on your thoughts on this coaching staff. And that's where we'll start the conversation. You know, we've commented on this a little bit along the way, but it was after each individual hire now we see the full breadth and the complete staff that Mike Norvell has pieced together. So as you studied it and looked at it in full or in full scope, what's your thoughts? Well, I think it's an impressive staff that he's managed to put together looking at it on paper. Uh, you know, he's hired five guys that have worked with him before, which uh, obviously will help him implement his program, his philosophy, uh, both daily and weekly, in season and out of season. So, you know, he's the whole staff's not having to get to know each other. There's already some team chemistry within the coaching staff. Uh, a nice blend of both experience and youth, uh, guys that have proven themselves over the course of 20-plus years, and guys that are only going to become better and better as coaches with more experience. You mentioned the continuity factor and the chemistry factor, and I definitely think that's a plus, too. From your standpoint, just your general knowledge, how often – 
our coaching staffs not aligned and not on the same page and how much does that really affect the product on the field or are coaches professional enough to to work around difference if, if you understand the the gist of the question there because it's not all yeah. harmonious and everybody always being on the same page and in fact a lot of times and this was talked about and your dad would have been on staff but we're in regard to mickey and chuck you know they off they often were at opposite sides or, or differing opinions which helped them be better as a defense because they had different points of view that they brought to the table well, yeah, I mean, coaches are going to challenge each other, both off on the same side of the ball in meetings. Uh, you know, if you believe in something strongly enough, a scheme or, you know, whatever you're trying to implement, you know, coaches are going to fight for that. And great debate makes for uh, great results, as Florida State fans found out there in the dynasty era when, you know, Coach Andrews and Coach Gladden and Coach Amato and my father were building the defense. And, you know, it helped when you bring in guys in that, you know, these guys that have worked with Coach Norvell before bring a unique understanding as to what is expected from them as coaches and from the players, uh, not only in – and obviously that translates into putting the program together. And, you know, they know how Coach Norvell wants his players coached. They know how they want certain techniques taught, uh, how he wants the offense implemented, how he wants the defense implemented. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's some certainly some advantages to um, bringing some people in that you're very familiar with. And then also when you bring in people that you have not worked with before that are highly regarded, they're going to bring in some new ideas that maybe you have not uh, used, whether it's on special teams or offense or defense, but certainly uh, you know, continue to help you to develop what you're doing as a head coach. That was going to be my next question because – and we're starting with – to me, and mo- just about everything I can say would be positive about this staff that he's pieced together. One being what we just talked about, and that's some continuity, and that Mike Norvell has worked with many of these folks. But you just got into the second part, which is they they have diverse backgrounds in that they've come from different conferences and different programs and different levels, and so they've been exposed to how things are being done in the Big Twelve or how things are being done in the SEC. That. To me, uh, I mean, it can be a good thing if you've got the same staff. And again, your dad was part of it for years where the staff never turned over uh, because it's a little easier maybe to get to the end line sometimes because everybody knows everybody else is going to respond. But this is also good when you bring new ideas to the table. Well, certainly. I mean, you know, he's going to bring in uh, a guy like John, I, I believe it's Happy, just is how you pronounce his last name, as special teams coordinator and defensive end coach. And you know, he's been coaching for about 20 years, but the guys that he has worked for under his career, Nick Saban, Les Miles, Bo Pelini, Larry Fedora, all very good football coaches with very different, uh, with different philosophies. Now, there's some similarities, I'm sure, between the four, but to bring that wealth of experience in and to be able to bring it to Florida State and bring those ideas to Coach Fuller and Coach Norvell, both on, on defense and in special teams, you know, uh, that's, you know, that's going to benefit the program. And then you've got to, you know, a young offensive line coach, uh, Alex Atkins, who has produced magnificent offensive lines results since he's been coaching. Uh, you know, I believe every all three seasons he was offensive line coach at Tulane, where head coach Willie Fritz, who's always been associated with a great running game. You know, Alex produced uh, offense, offensive lines that in three years at Tulane that finished within the top 30 in rushing offense every year. And, of course, he's probably going to bring some new concepts because to Coach Norvell's offense because Willie Fritz is an option guy. That's you know, he he ran the option at Georgia Southern very successfully and I believe uh Alex's first year uh working for Coach Fritz at uh 
Georgia Southern, they were they led the uh, nation in rushing. So, yeah, so bringing in some diversity in the year uh, staff certainly benefits and helps grow what you're doing on both sides of the ball and on special teams. You mentioned two individual coaches, so I was going to get to this. Who stands out the most? If I had to say this is the most impressive hire he made, and maybe you just answered it by the two names you volunteered, but so I'll ask you, which which name are, are you most impressed with in terms of the hire? Well, you know, the one the one guy I keep going back to is the assistant head coach or deputy head coach, uh, Chris Thompson. He's been a head coach at Aberlein Christians for five years. He's worked with Coach Norvell before, both at, uh, at Arizona State, was actually one of his coaches at Thistle, Arkansas. And I just think that having a guy that's been a head coach for five or six years on your staff, you know, obviously this is a much more high-profile job than Memphis. The issues that you're going to deal with are the same uh, on and off the field, football players and kids or football players and kids. But I think to have Chris Thompson on staff to be able to go to and say, Coach, you know, You've, you've you've handled this before. I'm 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 not have not had to handle the situation that you have it at Abilene Christian. So uh, you know, and he's obviously been at some uh, big uh, Power Five programs, Arizona State, TCU, uh, among them. But certainly impressed with that hire, and I think it really does will benefit uh, Coach Norvell to have an experienced coach like Coach Thompson on his staff, uh, particularly with his past head coaching experience. Uh, have been very impressed with Coach Fuller. Uh, you know, the job that the, Adam Fuller, the defensive coordinator, uh, what he is, his reputation for turning defenses around um, is very impressive. If you look at what he did with Memphis in his only season at Memphis, uh, after the, before going into the bowl game, they were ranked 48th in total defense. The prior two years to that at Memphis, they were ranked 89th and 116th. Uh, probably more important for FSU fans right now. Is Memphis was 20th in pass efficiency defense, so he understands. He you know he's, he's coached linebackers, he's coached DBs. He understands how the front end of the defense and back end of the defense are supposed to work together, and he's worked on both both the front seven and the back seven. So, uh, you know, very impressed with that. He had similar results in Chattanooga, so very impressed with that hire. Uh, you know, I spoke with some college coaches that I know, and that they they uh, speak a lot of coach for. So, I, you know, I think he's done a good job, and then of course. He's brought in David Johnson from Tennessee as his recruiting coordinator, and I think one of the things you're going to see there, uh, Coach Johnson has some significant ties to the state of Louisiana where he was a high school coach for a long time. FSU was already using that pipeline. They were going to bring in at least two kids uh, from Louisiana as on official visits before National Signing Day on February 5th. So, and then, of course, you know, uh, he kept uh, – Odell and uh, Ron Dugans, and I think that will benefit. But yeah, I mean, some of the guys that these coaches have been around, uh, you've got to like uh, what their pedigree is and background is coming into Florida State. We're talking with Patrick Burnham, our Osceola insider. Again, the Osceola online at theosceola.com. Several several ways I could go. First, going back to defensive coordinator, uh, is he going to? Do we definitively know that he's going to coach safety? So there's two DB coaches, or is that? I know he said at his initial press conference that he's going to work with all the different segments. But my sense is that that may be where he aligns. Do we know that? I uh, no. I mean, there's been nothing official about it, but he has coached safeties before in his career. Uh, now he could be a walking boss where he lets DJ Rushing coach all four DBs, and he gets involved in the drills he wants to be in, and he kind of 
oversees the entire defense during practice, or it could be that he is going to jump in and coach the safeties or corners. And uh, since he's coached the safeties before, and you know they are involved in run support and um, the passing game, it would be more of a uh, natural position for him to coach besides corners. But yeah, there's been nothing official made, but I would not be shocked at all if he's coaching safeties in the spring. And then I want to go to Chris Thompson, go back to Chris Thompson and something you said there. You know, you mentioned that Norvell can go to him when he's seeking counsel on how do you handle this, and that's certainly true. But I think there's another side of that, and that is the rest of the staff and or players or whomever associated with the program can go to Thompson, or Thompson on his own can go to Norvell and say, hey, I noticed that, you know, we probably need a little more attention with special teams at practice or that, that sort of thing. I mean, that's it's another set of eyes and ears, and it shows me that... Uh, if you're going to embrace that, which Norvell clearly is because he hired him, that means that your ego is 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 not at such heights that you won't listen to other input. You will welcome it, in fact. Yes, yeah, and listen, and, you know, Chris Thompson's got some great experience to uh, draw from. He's coached for Gary Patterson, Todd Graham, and Tommy Tuberville, so he, in addition to Coach Norvell, so he's been around some highly successful coaches that have great reputations, so uh, invaluable experience, and then I think his his experience as an offensive line coach, Alex Atkins, is, has been highly successful as an offensive line coach in his own right, but he is young, and you know I'm sure Chris Thompson is going to benefit Alex Atkins as they work together with the offensive line and tight end. Let me throw out my thoughts on recruiting here, and then I'll let you respond because you've been around it. I mean, you've been right in the middle of it. So you're in the state of Florida. You don't ever want to get in a position where you're recruiting 90% of your class from outside of the state. Florida's always got to be your bread and butter. Historically, and I don't have the numbers, it feels like it's at least 80% Florida kids and 20% elsewhere, and it may be higher than that. But given the diverse backgrounds of all these coaches and the ties to, to Tennessee and Memphis and Texas and Louisiana, Short term, certainly they're going to lean on those connections, and you'll see a higher number of kids from out of state. But is that sustainable longer term to to maybe shift it so that you're getting 60% Florida kids or whatever the math is, basically more kids from out of state than what FSU has done historically? Uh, You know, I would always think there's enough talent in the state of Florida, South Georgia, South Alabama, that you're probably going to find 75% of your kids every year from that, that area. Uh, certainly they're going to take advantage of the fact that uh, they have connections in Louisiana, whether it's Alec Atkins with experience at Tulane or David Johnson as a um, high school coach there. I believe he also coached at Tulane for Curtis Johnson. So they've got some real experience there, and you need to you need to uh, draw on that and take advantage of that. Florida State did that uh, in Coach Bowden's era in Alabama uh, where Coach Andrews and Coach Burnham both had valuable experience coaching and growing up in the state of Alabama. So I would think that you always see them go to Louisiana. They obviously have draws to Texas, and it's an easy flight from Dallas or Houston to Tallahassee or to Florida. So, uh, And that's where Coach Norvell is from, and obviously Coach Thompson is from. So, uh, But do, do I think you'll see a complete overhaul of how they recruit? No, there's so much talent in the state of Florida, and uh, you know they can saturate the state with all 10 of these coaches and uh, – really make an impact. But, yes, I think that Florida State's a national brand, and I think that uh, 
Coach Norvell and his staff will be able to go out and get some guys that maybe aren't in traditional recruiting territories for Florida State. Yeah, and that's really what I'm saying. I'm not suggesting a complete overhaul. And I really, and I understand why Taggart did it when he came in because he had West Coast connections and, and, and Jaden is here and that's good. But historically, Florida State's not had a, a lot of luck when you go that far away. These coaches, yeah. these coaches geographically are a little bit closer, so I could just see a shift of and you don't set out that way. You don't say we've got to have 75-25. I mean, no, you, no, you no. go recruit, and if it ends up that you got a few more from Louisiana this year, you take them kind of thing. That's right. That's right. And Florida State's always you know, done a good job of you know going into Texas and Louisiana. I think there's a pretty good track record of bringing in good players uh, and basically identifying what they consider to be national prospects that, where there's a natural draw or connection go out and get those guys. But yeah, certainly, I, I think Florida's got so much talent in it, I just don't think that you would uh, get away from that too often. It's only been a month and a couple days that Norvell's been on the job. He's got his whole staff together. We didn't even talk about the off-the-field folks. Uh, he shirred up everybody that was committed, save for Malachi, who we hope signs uh, the first Wednesday in February. He's gone out and found, I think, four transfers now. A kid from Purdue is going to walk on at linebacker here. Uh, got a lineman from FIU defensive end from Louisville uh you know I mean he's hit the ground running what else should we expect between now and signing day based on who Florida State's uh, in contact with and all the well, activity in the portal gonna, they're taking a look at several running backs including uh LaDamian Webb who's at Jones Junior College in Mississippi 5'9 190 uh I was very impressed with his high school tape I've not seen a ton of junior college tape but he was ranked very highly coming out of high school. I believe he was the uh, fifth best prospect in the state of Alabama the year he came out, ranked by 24-7. Uh, very impressive t- uh, tape. Then they're going to bring in a safety on January 17th, Donovan Kaufman from uh, Louisiana. So they are using that connection. He's an impressive guy. Uh, then Corey Wren is also coming in on the 17th of January for an official visit. He is a running back that's got super speed. He's been clocked at 10-4 um, about four times in his track career and has run under 11 in the 100 meters uh, seven times. And then, of course, you go look. At, so they are looking at running backs. And they've got another running back, I believe, from Alabama that they are now scheduled to bring in. So there's definitely going to be some additional running backs based on who they're bringing in for official visits. Then, of course, offensive line. Uh, they got Devontae Taylor out of FIU, and they're also going to bring in a kid named Jalen St. John from uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and on the 31st. Uh, Jalen is a guy that was probably uh, has grown, he's 6'5", about 300 pounds, and comparing the sophomore tape to his senior tape, he has really grown into his body and moves a lot better than he did as a younger underclassman in high school. But I would say, and then, of course, uh, so I think offensive line, defensive end, running back, and it looks like they might have taken care of a linebacker with Cornell Jones uh, transferring from Purdue. But uh, I think that's where you're going to see. Uh, they're trying to figure out how to replace Cam Akers. Uh, you don't know what's going on with Kalen. I know he had surgery. You don't know what the extent of that. But uh, certainly running back's a position of need. It looks like they're going to go after one more defensive end. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, it'll, and, you know they've, but he's doing all the right things, and they're turning over all the stones to try to put that offensive line back on solid footing with uh, the kid from FIU and uh, obviously still recruiting two or three guys. Yeah, and so just to clarify, the Jalen kid who's coming in on the 31st, that's coming in he for is. a visit. He's not coming in committed at this point, right? No, he's coming in for an official okay. visit. That's correct. I'll let you go that's on correct. this one uh, without talking about the specific guys, but a, a couple of position coaches, I think from Marshall and Memphis, 
basically came to Florida State and agreed to – short term, it's a demotion. Now, from a pay standpoint, it may be a pay raise, but they've moved off the field into these analyst roles. This is pure speculation on my part, and I haven't heard this. But I do wonder, given when you think about how Nick Saban has been – you know, Alabama's kind of been the place that head coaches go to resurrect their careers. And we saw Jim Levitt here last year. Todd Graham is a guy who's been out of coaching for a year or two, but he's the guy that Mike Norvell got his start because of. Yep. You think there's yep. a chance that, that Graham could end up here as an analyst? Because, I have, I, I mean, I don't know him, but I, I, I think he's been out two years since Arizona State let him go. If he's wanting to get back into coaching, this would be a way to do it. Yeah, I mean, certainly that would be an option. I don't, you know, I don't know much about Coach Graham other than his reputation as a coach. I don't know, you know, I mean, you know, is he a guy that still wants to be a head coach or is he got a guy that wants to go out and be a coordinator somewhere? I'm sure he's got has possible chances to do that. Uh, you know, and I don't know the dynamic of that relationship, but, uh, you know, you do see a lot of former head coaches, whether it's a Jerry Kill uh, going to Virginia Tech last season or a – uh, Jim Levitt, come, who had been a head coach and a coordinator at the Power Five level, uh, come to Florida State and you know spent a year as an analyst and obviously was hired as FAU at FAU or as the defensive uh, coordinator. But it would certainly be a possibility. Pat, great information and insight. We appreciate it as always, and uh, always look forward to our conversations. Have a great one. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Talk to you guys soon. He is Pat Burnham, our Osceola Insider. You can subscribe monthly for six ninety five or annually for seventy four ninety five. He is Wally Burnham's son, one of them. If you don't know uh, Pat Burnham, so he uh, came up in a coaching family, and you can hear in every every time I mention the name, the coach by first name, he would refer back to coach and their last name. The uh, the old respect factor coming from the coach's kid. We'll take a break. Come back and uh, roll on. We are only halfway through with Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block with you. Keith will rejoin us next segment, and we'll talk about Florida State and Wake Forest coming up tonight in Winston-Salem. I'm going to do things uh, a little bit different than the norm right now and welcome uh, Florida State. Uh, boy, legend, it makes you sound really good, but really old, Brian Henry, who joins us right now. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I appreciate it. Yes, it does make me feel a little old. Well, we were just talking in the break that uh, you pitched at FSU from 05 to 07, which makes me feel really old because that's a long time ago now. But lots of folks know Brian Henry, great pitcher for FSU. Six years pitching coach at, uh, at Florida A&M, working with, uh, with Coach Shoup and the Rattlers. But uh, we're going to talk about something that's been a long tradition, I guess, and I, I'm looking forward to it. I've not participated in this yet, but I will be there with my son on Saturday. But uh, you've got your annual father-son clinic, so I'll, I'll let I'll let you just kind of set the scene for people who haven't heard about it. Just tell us what it is and, and how the idea came about. Yeah, so it, it's like you said, it's our annual father-son clinic. Um, myself and, and David Ross started this 12 years ago. Um, you know, I was 
just broke into the minor leagues and um you know david was actually kind of just starting to be a consistent big leaguer as well um you know and as a minor leaguer you're always looking for something and uh, off-season job off-season stuff and so we we trained together at Titus Sports Academy here in, in Tallahassee, and we started talking about trying to do a camp and thinking of different things that we could do because, you know, I mean, with, there's all kind of camps around. And um, so how could we be different to kind of separate ourselves? And um, I mean, my, my dad actually was a part of the, you know, the, the idea of Tossing too, and he kind of was the one who, who spurred that father, son. He's like, Let's, what about this? What about – and so we talked about it, and we're like, man, that'd be – Sounds like a, a great idea. That's something that's not around here, and you know, every camp and lesson you, you that we would do with kids, it's, you teach the kid, and then when the lesson's over, the the dad's like, okay, what do I need to do to help him get better? So we're like, you know what, man, if we teach both the dad and the kid at the same time, now you're killing two birds with one stone, and they get to have fun and, and play the game of baseball together, and so that's kind of how the ball got rolling. And it's been quite successful over the years uh, from what I hear and what I know. So uh, give us the particulars for this week, and then I'll drill down a little bit deeper. I don't know if you still have availability uh, for people to sign up, but give us the when, where, how much, and all that type of stuff, what the schedule looks like. Uh, as, right now we're, we're, we do it at Child's High School every year. Coach Steed out there is kind of taking us in, and um, they have a great facility and enough space to, to house everybody. Uh, it's this Saturday starting at 9.30. Um, check in on start about 8:45, and yes we we do do walk-ups and there's we've never turned away anybody before and um this is one of the biggest camp we've we've had so far uh in terms of pre-registration and, and word getting out i guess we're excited um the cost is a hundred dollars for a father-son combo and if you want to add a, another kid it's 35 dollars um and i think that's about the all lunch the particular. includes lunch right Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. We it includes a uh, uh, t-shirts and goodie bags with stuff from our sponsors. You know, we have a great group of, of sponsors that help us put on this clinic and bring in the instructors that we're able to bring in, and um, so they fill some some goodie bags up with coupons and whatnot. And the man's doghouse feeds us every year, and you know, it's kind of a partnership that we built, and you know, they love it, and we love having them. So you and David Ross obviously are both Tallahassee baseball guys. Uh, you know, I want to say kids, but you're men for a long time at this point. Uh, and, and David's, you know, he may be the same guy, but a father-son clinic where you have the Cubs manager, I mean, that, that kind of adds a little bit the cachet to the thing, does it not? I don't think there's a lot of big league managers that are in their hometowns doing father-son baseball clinics right now. Right, right. I mean, that is great. Like, that's yeah. – Part of my what I'm going to say uh, Saturday morning when, when I talk to everybody is I mean we've had we've had World Series champions and with Buster Lorenzo Kane and even David we've had you know all stars with those guys and Silver Sluggers with Dean Palmer and you know we've had a, a bunch of accolades and accomplishments of people working the camp but this will be the first time we've ever like you said had a, a major league manager and for you know for David to still be a part of it and you know when when he got named the manager, you know, I sent my, called him saying congratulations. And I said, we, you know, you still want to be a part of this. And he's like, absolutely. And, you know, he picked the date. And, uh, so we've just kind of gone from there. Yeah, that's awesome. So who else, uh, you, you know, I know guys, lots of other guys participate. I, I don't know if you can let the cat out of the bag, but, but who are some other guys that are expected to participate, whether FSU guys playing pro ball or whatever it is now? 
Yeah, so we, you know, every year we try to, we, we bring in different people, and a lot of it is just a Florida State connection with, with being Tallahassee and in town. So, um, you know, this year in terms of big leaguers, Luke Weaver's in the midst of uh, having a, of getting his career really going with the Diamondbacks. He'll be there. Um, Dustin McGowan, the guy who is a 10, 10-year big leaguer who's retired living in Tallahassee, pitched for uh, the Marlins and Blue Jays and Phillies among other teams, he'll be here helping out. Um, Drew Mendoza's coming back, big draft pick, and Mike Salvatore, and got the uh, the big shooter, Chip Baker, leading the catching uh, part of it. And uh, the the famous Tyler Holt, you know, who, and he'll be back. He's a he's a mainstay, and I told him, I was joking with him this week that he, he's been promoted to a, uh, a roving instructor because that's what he, he wants, the, the manager title. Um, and he, you know, he's always a great personality to have at the camp. And then we always have uh, current Florida State and FAMU guys come out and volunteer and and hang around the kids and just just help out. And it's it's a good time. That is awesome. We're talking with Brian Henry, of course, with uh, Florida A&M now, former FSU ace. And uh, you know, here's the thing, and you see this as a coach, and you probably you can relate to this from when you were growing up. When, and for those who don't know, and I think everybody listening to this show knows that Brian's dad is Jim Henry, who's been, uh, you know, covering Florida State for years and a long time with the Democrat now. When dad tells the kid, this is how you do it, you get an eye roll from the kid a lot of times. But when Major League Baseball player Luke Weaver tells the kid the exact same thing and says the exact same words, lo and behold, the kid responds. Absolutely. You know, and that, that's the main reason why my son will be out there as well. Uh, just we're, we're getting ready for baseball season and throwing and hitting and stuff and i try to tell him something and saying something that you get the eye roll and I, i'm like bud what do what do i do he's like coach baseball said, okay and but that don't help that doesn't give me any credibility but luke weaver and chip baker and mendoza and sherman johnson all those guys will tell him and He'll be uh, locked in, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, we are too. My son's a lefty, by the way, so I'm doing nice. my part, Brian. Good. Love it. <laughs> hey, well, thanks thanks so much for a few minutes of your time. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday and seeing a lot of those guys. Uh, Nolan is my son. He'll be excited to know that Drew Mendoza is going to be out there too. But uh, I'm glad to be a part of it, and uh, thanks for all you've done for the community and continuing to do this and, and pass the thanks on to David as well. Uh, it's, it's become a staple. I mean, you guys are past a decade on this point. So going back to where we started, that just means you're getting old. So congratulations exactly. on that. <laughs> getting old and here, and, and we have, I've got kids in high school, high school baseball players that are emailing me and actually going to come out to volunteer and help out that participated. They're like, they said they want to come help because they did it 10 years ago and had such a good time. Now they want to come back and help out. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah, it is. It's kind of cool to see how far this thing's come. Very cool. Well, good luck with it, and I'll see you on Saturday. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. You bet. Brian Henry, right. uh, again, former Florida State ace, father-son clinic at Childs, as you heard him say, starts at 930, and uh, check-in begins at 845. All right, we'll step aside, come back, and uh, return the focus to basketball a little bit with Keith Jones, who's getting ready to call the Florida State Wake Forest game tonight in Winston-Salem. We'll do that after we do this. The last three days, and the rain was unstoppable. Always 
Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, and we will go back to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello once again to Keith Jones. KJ, Wake Forest tonight. We talked a little basketball in the first segment. So I guess the initial question is, and this is a this is a talented Florida State team that really, I mean, still doesn't have all its parts firing on all cylinders in spite of what they did to Louisville. But how do you expect them to play tonight and compared, you know, and, and, and you can't be reading your press clippings at the it's the ACC and you're on the road, even though it's Wake Forest. Uh, Wake just beat Pitt, and that's a team Florida State didn't beat. So you you have to have your A game to pull out every cliche and put it in one sentence, as I throw to you. Well, that that's what you do. You put the Pitt tape on and say, look what Pitt did to us. They were up by 16 on Wake Forest, and the Demon Deacons came back and beat them on their home court. <clears throat> Pardon me. So uh, I think reasonable minds would look at that tape and, and quickly understand this is not a team that you can take for granted. Now, Wake has got some deficiencies. They've had some injury problems. They have not played well, but on any given night, they can put 40 minutes together, and, and, and Florida State has had nights. Uh, I believe two years ago we came up here to Wake Forest. We were a double-digit um, uh, favor, and we lost. So uh, there's a history here with Wake Forest, and, and both uh, years past and what's happened this year with a common opponent. I'll be shocked if this team doesn't come out and play well. MJ Walker, Keith, all the talk in the offseason was about him needing to take the next step. He certainly was impressive against Louisville. We still don't see those kind of nights every game out, but how much better is he? Has he taken a step, and, and how big a step in this is junior year? He has taken a step. Uh, it has to be measured against the fact that he has been injured. He's had a calf problem, a leg problem. And, you know, when you're a, a pure shooter – you know, any type of, um, you know, nuisance, problem, injury, fill in the blank, whatever you want to, you know, can put you off your game. But you're right. His issue has not been talent. His issue has been consistency. So the, the thing that I'll be looking for tonight is uh, he doesn't come have to come back out and score 20 points against Pittsburgh, uh, excuse me, against uh, Wake Forest. But he does have to come back out and continue to contribute. The one thing I will tell you that he has worked most on that is notable, uh, he's always been a relatively good defensive player. He has turned that up, and he has shown great progress and great effort on the defensive end, and I think that in and of itself can help him in his confidence uh, on the offensive end. And, of course, the other cliche thing, and Gene and I talk about this all the time, is you know he, he, he has to hit his first shot. If he hits his first shot in the ballgame, he'll have a good night. If he misses it, he'll have an average night. At least that's the way it's played out so far. Well, you got to get past that. No, you got to be like a DB, right? You got to have a, exactly. a very short exactly. memory. You've seen the entire Leonard Hamilton tenure here at FSU, the the junkyard dog defense and all that. This defense this year that this team is playing has been incredible. Even though there's not a Bernard James per se, it's really been block and alter shots and passes by committee. Where would you rank this defense based, uh, you know, I mean, would you say it's the best of the Leonard Hamilton tenure or would you still default to more of the junkyard dog era? I wouldn't say it's the best because the one thing that this defense is missing is that that dominant shot blocker. But 
when you start looking at the statistics, you know, Vassell will have one or two blocks, and Osborne will have a block, and Pat Williams will have a block. So it's not like there's one guy, Bernard James' example, but they can still get their hands on the ball. And, of course, the bigger thing that this group does that the others have done is just the deflections and the and the ability to force. I mean, they force turnovers off of the dribble. I mean, kids, kids that handle the ball well, opponents that handle the ball well are dribbling the ball off of their foot or they're, or they're getting a hand on it and it goes off of their leg. And there's, there's two or three or four of those in every game. Uh, so th- this is a very good defensive team. They don't have the outstanding shot blocker, but at the end of the day, they're they're second or third in the conference and and block shots, and it's it's by committee, and uh, they do a really good job of 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 help. Uh, and as I said, and repeating myself, and in, in just deflections, you know, Leonard doesn't talk about turnovers. He talks about deflections because deflections will lead to turnovers, and and that group has bought into it. There's no question about that. Final two minutes, KJ, two stats. The first one I know you know because it's in the notes, but Florida State is 15-2 and two in its last 17 regular season ACC games. 15-2. and two. You remember when Leonard started, the program was at such a point, FSU couldn't win a road game ever, and uh, now they're coming off a big win over a team that was previously number one in Louisville. The second one, I saw this on the ever-reliable Twitter machine earlier today. I think today, last night. ACC teams with the highest percentage chance to make the NCAA tournament this year. Now, bear in mind, it's January 8th. And the top of the list is Florida State and Duke, each at 98%. Yep. I mean, what does that say about where this program is compared to where it was at one point? Well, there's two things about our basketball programs, and I put an S on the end of it. You know, if you, if you look at Florida State's women's program, Sue is now the longest tenured FSU coach. She's she's the dean of FSU coaches, and and this year's team on the women's side might be her best team. We'll still see. Uh, and now you've got Leonard doing what he's doing on the men's side, <clears throat> and particularly and for both of these squads, their ability to win games at home. You talk about fifteen and two over the last seventeen. FSU is twenty seven and three in home ACC games, I think. I mean, they've won 27 of the last 30 ACC games at home, if my, if my memory serves. I mean, both of the programs are at historic levels in terms of consistency. They, they just got to take that in one more or two more steps uh, to, to move them into you know uh, the stratosphere, and both of them are poised and capable of doing that. And... You know, one of the final fours is in Atlanta on the men's side, and the women's is in New Orleans. So uh, FSU fans in Tallahassee can make it. This would be a year to take that next step. Keith, Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't it would it be? be. That'd be I, great. I have the women's uh, broadcast tomorrow night against Georgia Tech. By the way, as uh, they, they, they lost to the buzzer once this year, and that's it. Everything else has, has been a W for Sue's team. Keith, call a good one tonight. Stay on the stay on the line. I got a question our listeners can't hear. We'll get to that uh, momentarily. But Keith and I will be back on the show uh, for Front Row Nose. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. And I do believe that we rely on when I let on come get the plan on.